Lord, we thank you again for bringing us here, God, to to seek you and pray that we would find you this morning, Lord, and you would reveal yourself to us, that you would uh, open our eyes to see you, uh, to see who you truly are, to see who we truly are, uh, to see what your will is and desire is for us in our lives. God, I pray that you would speak to us powerfully um, through this section of scripture as you did this uh, amazing, amazing thing for these two men in need. Uh, I pray, Lord, that um, we would be able to relate to and identify with these men, God, and, and we'd be inspired um, by your word and and compelled uh, by your love and uh, motivated by your spirit, Lord, and, and we would uh, we would leave, leave here uh, different, God, than we came. Uh, so please bless this time. We pray that you would fill each of us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, if anybody doesn't have their Bible with them or didn't bring a Bible, if you could just raise your hand real quick. We want to get a Bible in your hands. Um, got one more over here. Anyone else? Everybody else got their Bible? Yeah? So when I call on you to read a verse, you'll, you'll be able to read it? Yeah? Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you remember, obviously last weekend was uh, Mother's Day. Hope you had a blessed Mother's Day. Um, uh, and we did kind of a segue from our last teaching in Matthew chapter 20. And just to remind you, if if you uh, if you do remember, we were talking about James and John and how their mother, Zebedee's wife, uh, came to Jesus making a specific request. And she asked the Lord Jesus if James and John could sit at his right hand and his left hand in his kingdom. Now, she was thinking this would be an earthly kingdom, right? She didn't understand the type of kingdom that Jesus ruled and reigned over. But nevertheless, she makes this request, Jesus basically tells her, you don't really know what you're asking, mom. Uh, and he tries to hammer home this point that the first will be last and the last will be first. Our ambition for position uh, should be an ambition for a lowly position, not this, uh, this, this high position. Um, it's not this mentality that we're climbing this corporate ladder. It's identifying with the Lord as a as a servant in humility. And Jesus, he keeps trying to instill this message to his disciples because they're constantly arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So if you remember, uh, they were on their way to Jerusalem when this whole dialogue and conversation took place. Now, this will be the last time the Lord comes to Jerusalem as, as a man, okay? Next week, we're going to enter into his final week on earth. Now, in this section of scripture, we'll finish Matthew 20. Remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to stop by Jericho and he's going to have this encounter with these two blind men. And these blind men are going to cry out to Jesus that he would have mercy on them and deliver them, heal them from their blindness. Now, Jesus being a man, a Lord of compassion, he meets these men where they're at and he does indeed heal them of their blindness in these men. They respond like any of us should respond they choose to follow jesus they devote their life to jesus see jesus opened their eyes and they devoted their lives which brings me to the title of this teaching opened eyes lead to devoted lives opened eyes lead to devoted lives 
I'll read it for you, a short little story, then we'll break it down. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Again, we see Jesus had this encounter with these men. He heals these men of their blindness, and these men in return, they pursue the Lord. They follow Jesus. They devote their life to him. Let's unpack this a little deeper, if you would, with me. Let's go verse by verse, picking it back up in verse 29. We see where they are. It says, now as they went out of Jericho. A great multitude followed him. So in Jericho, Jericho was basically a desert oasis and it was about 15 miles away from Jerusalem. Okay, so Jesus, as we discussed, you see it back in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He goes through Jericho and this is where he meets these men. Now in Jericho, there was this bush that people believed would help relieve people who had blindness, would help cure people of blindness. So there were perhaps some historical records would state that there were many blind people in Jericho because of this specific bush that grew there. Hence why we have these two blind men that Jesus encounters. Look at verse 30. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So there's these blind men, and they're sitting by the road. There doesn't appear to be anyone there to help these men. They are blind, and they are helpless. They can't help themselves. This describes our state before we came to the Lord. We were spiritually blind. We were walking in darkness. We had no guide and we had no hope. Point number one, blind eyes lead to hopeless lives. Blind eyes lead to hopeless lives. Now I'm speaking spiritually, obviously. I know blind people that have a lot more hope than other people who can see. We're speaking spiritually. Spiritual blindness leads to hopelessness. When we were spiritually blind before the Lord opened our eyes, we were without hope. That's what the Bible tells us. Paul communicates it to us like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. I'll read it for you. That at that time, He's speaking of the time before we came to Christ, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This was all our state. Before we came to know Jesus Christ, we were aliens from God. In fact, James tells us we were enemies of God. We were without hope. We had no future. We had no purpose. We had no meaning. 
We didn't know the reason for our being, why we were created, what our purpose in life was. In general, we were blind without hope and without help. We had no guide. We were bound to stumble, which many of us did over and over and over again, stumbling and stumbling and stumbling in our sin because we just didn't know what to do. We had no help. We had no guidance. We had no hope. In fact, the Bible tells us that the enemy was at work in our lives before we even knew there was an enemy. If you would with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about this specifically. In verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The enemy, he was at work in each and every unbeliever's life, in our lives when we were unbelievers, and he was blinding us to the truth of the gospel. Why? He doesn't want us to have hope. He's out to steal, to, to, steal, to kill, and to destroy If we can't see Jesus, if we can't understand the gospel, if it's veiled to us, then we have no purpose. We have no hope in this world or the next. That's the state of each of us. Before the Lord opened our eyes, we were blinded to the gospel. We were blinded to the truth. We had no direction. We had no path. Matthew chapter 20. Verse 30, so these two blind men, they're sitting by the road, and it says, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, see, they might be blind, but they're not deaf. They can hear. They heard Jesus was passing by. Now, we don't know what they heard about Jesus. They seem to know quite a bit. They have some faith based on what they say and how they address Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but they likely heard of some of the miracles that the Lord had done. They heard enough to believe in faith, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They've at least heard enough about Jesus to believe that he is who he said he was. And they hear that he's passing by. They hear that he came to town and now they're going to encounter him. They're going to reach out to him. In fact, it says, look, they cry out to him by, look what it says, They heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. This word cry in the Greek is krotso. It actually refers to a woman giving birth to a child. That kind of cry. Okay, I don't know what this sounds like yet. I'll know next month. All right, but I can't imagine that it's pleasant, right? This is this is like a a cry of, of serious pain. Right? Of pain that none of us men could handle. Right? That's why we're men and not women. Okay? The women can handle this pain. We can't. Okay? This cry, this is like gotta be a shriek, a shriek, whatever it is. This is the word that's used here. These men, they're in desperate need. They're crying out in some type of spiritual pain, if you will. We know the root of this is their blindness. See, the blindness was simply unbearable. It was an unbearable burden that they just couldn't handle any longer. But, It's not just the blindness that they're crying out about. Look what they say. Have mercy on us, son of David. 
They don't just want to be healed from their blindness. They want to be forgiven for their sin. Now, we don't know if these blind men are blind because of their personal sin or if it's because of sin in the world. Either way, it's not important. They recognize that they are sinners in need of mercy. So they cry out to Jesus and they say, have mercy on us. They recognize their need for mercy. They recognize their need for forgiveness. Now, this will likely be their last chance to encounter the Lord Jesus. See, as I said previously, uh, next week we'll talk about it. He's going to enter into Jerusalem, referred to as Palm Sunday, and that'll be his last week on earth. That Friday, he'll die. So though these men may not know, this is their last opportunity for salvation, okay, unless the gospel comes to them afterwards. But this is the last moment that they're going to see Jesus face to face. Time is of the essence. It's either now, because it can't happen later, they need to cry out to Jesus in this moment, and that's exactly what they do. See, time? Time is not on the unbeliever's side. See, nobody knows when their last day is going to come. That's why Paul says, today is the day of salvation. That's why James says our life is but a vapor. It's so short. It's gone in an instant. And none of us know when that last day is going to come. Those of us who are saved, it doesn't really matter, right? We're going to heaven. If today is my last day, great. I get to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those that are perishing, for those that don't know the Lord, time is of the essence and any day could be their last day. I mentioned this story on a Wednesday night. Uh, but my dad, um, he was painting this house and he had this conversation with this guy. The guy's name, uh, name was, was Ramsey. And my dad felt this nudge to, to share the gospel with this guy. And my dad like had a lot uh, of good conversation with him, but he never shared the gospel with him. A couple days later, they found Ramsey dead in his house. And my dad was like broken over and he's like, oh my gosh, I know I was supposed to share the gospel. I didn't share the gospel. And now this guy's dead and I don't think he was saved just by some of the remarks that he made. Grams, he didn't know it was going to be his last day. And my dad didn't know, couldn't have possibly known that it was going to be his last day, but God knew it was going to be his last day. And God had my dad there for a reason. Now my dad, he learned a lot through this and I've learned a lot through his experience. The point is the unbeliever... Again, time is of the essence. And we have to have this mentality. We have to have this mindset that today is the day for salvation. Maybe that's for a neighbor. Maybe that's for a friend. Maybe it's for a family member because today could be their last if we're not willing to put ourselves out there to share the gospel, to be for them, there for them in their need, then they might miss out on the opportunity that the Lord provided for them through us. See these men, though they may not know that Jesus is going to be dead in a week, they seize the moment. They see Jesus Christ and they take advantage of the opportunity. They cry out to them, to him in their need. And the Lord is going to respond to their need. But look what they say. Look how they refer to him. Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. O Lord, son of David. 
Well, son of David, that was a title specifically for who? The Messiah, right? The Messiah would come from the line of Judah, specifically through David and his lineage. So them calling him the son of David, David had died a thousand years ago. They're saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. See, those these men were blind. They saw something that many others didn't see. They saw that Jesus truly was the Messiah, though they couldn't see physically somewhat. Their eyes were opened spiritually and they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. So they're not just crying out that the Lord heal them of their blindness. They're literally crying out for a Savior. Lord, I need mercy. Lord, Son of David, you are the Messiah. I need salvation. That's the heart of these men. And the Lord is going to respond. But look what happens in verse 31, if you would with me. Matthew chapter 20, verse 31. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. Now this multitude, this multitude, these people are following Jesus. These followers of Jesus tell the blind men to be quiet. Literally, these followers of Jesus are a barrier between them and Jesus. They're preventing these blind men from coming to Jesus. At least they're trying to. Followers of Jesus, don't be a barrier. Now, you might not stop someone in the middle of their prayer. That's what, they, that's what this multitude is doing. They're stopping people in the middle of their prayer and saying, quit praying to Jesus. Like, you would never do that, right? I'd be shocked if any of you ever did that. Like, somebody's praying, hey, 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 stop talking to Jesus. Now's not the time, right? It sounds ridiculous. But there's other things that we might do that can cause us to be a barrier that can prevent people from coming to Jesus. Maybe it's a critical remark. Maybe it's being judgmental judgmental maybe if it's acting in such a way that would lead people to believe that the gospel is something other than it is maybe it's just being prideful maybe it's being critical maybe it is being judgmental maybe it's being religious whatever the case may be don't be that barrier we're not called to be barriers we're called to be bridges we're called to bridge the gap where people are at and where Jesus is at and help them meet Jesus and know him for who he is. This multitude is preventing these two men from drawing near to Jesus. But these guys, they're persistent. Look what happens. But they cried out all the more. They cried out despite the crowd's attempts to quiet them. They continue to cry. I'm not going to listen to you crowd. I'm going to continue to cry out to Jesus. See? The world will try to quiet us down. The world will try to quiet the Christian down from crying out to Jesus. And the world might say things like, the Bible, you believe that? It's all allegory, it's myth. Yeah, there's some meaning to it, but it wasn't real. Those aren't historical facts. It never actually happened. Why are you praying to Jesus? It's not like he's going to do anything. God's not real. God's dead. Don't you know these things? See, the world will try to get between us and the Lord. They'll try to quiet us down. They'll try to prevent us from crying out to Jesus. But like these men, I pray and hope that we would continue to cry out to him as we need him. See, these men know that they're in need of Jesus and they continue to cry out to Jesus. They don't listen to the crowd. Look what happens. Matthew chapter 20, verse 32 
So Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now we have to think about this. Jesus is on his way where? Jerusalem, right? Just making sure everybody's with me. Okay, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, right? This is his last week on earth. He's headed to Jerusalem for what purpose? To die on the cross, right? That's why, that's, the Bible says in Isaiah, his face was set like a flint, meaning he's not turning to the left or the right, he's focused. He's determined. He's dedicated to fulfilling what God the Father has called him to fulfill in dying on the cross. Philippians 2 says he was obedient to the point of death. You gotta think about Jesus in his life. He was so busy. He was so consumed with ministry. He had this go, go, go pace all the time, yet, He took a moment and he stopped and he helped these men who were in need. See, though he was busy, he made time for these men. And Jesus, he makes time for us. Point number two, Jesus makes time for us. Jesus makes time for us. He's not too busy for us. Though he has so much going on, like ruling the universe and taking care of every single person in the world, his entire creation... Despite all that's on his plate, he still makes a conscious effort to make time for us. It says he stood still and he called them. Hey, I got a lot going on, but I got time for you guys. You guys are in need. I got time for you. Yeah, there's this multitude following. I'm not going to get distracted by that. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to meet you where you're at in your need. That's what the Lord does for each and every one of us. Despite all that he has going on, he meets us in our need. He makes that special time for us. He makes time for us, but do we make time for him? Do we make the time for him that we should make for him? Or do we use the excuse that we're too busy? Uh, work's consuming me. I got too much going on at work. I'm simply too tired to seek the Lord at church or through prayer in my personal devotion life, whatever the case may be. It could be family. It could be friends. It could be school. We can come up with a million and one excuses to not spend time with Jesus, but none of them are good enough. Think about it. What Jesus was getting ready to do was more important than anything we will ever do in our lives. He was getting ready to die on a cross to redeem the world. And he didn't let that, use that as an excuse. Sorry, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, blind men. I don't have time for you. But sometimes we can do that to the Lord. And we can say, Jesus, I don't have time to do my devotions today. I don't have time to spend time with you. I I don't have time to spend this time in prayer. I don't have time to be intimate. No excuse is a good excuse. If he makes time for us, then we should make time for him. You remember the story in Luke chapter um, 10, 10 or 11. Uh, with Mary and Martha, right? And Martha, she's so busy about serving and trying to do everything that she thinks she's supposed to do. And Jesus rebukes her and he says, hey, Mary's done that better thing. She sat at my feet and heard my voice. One thing is needed. She's done the one thing that's needed. Martha, you're busy about work. You're distracted by service you're distracted by busyness but you're not doing the one thing that i'm asking you to do and that's simply to spend time with me to just sit at my feet and hear my voice see the lord he makes that time for us but sometimes we don't make that time for him and we should there's no reason not to there's no excuse 
that we could possibly have that's good enough to not spend the time with the Lord that he's asking us to spend with him. He makes this time for these two men that are in need. He calls them. He stands still. He hears what they have to say. But not only that, look, he asks them a question in verse 32. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? See, sometimes we can be afraid of answering this question. We don't always want to ask God for things. Why? We're afraid he's going to say no. So because we're afraid he's going to say no about something, we just simply won't ask at all. James addresses this in James chapter 4, verse 2. If you want to flip there real quick, James chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. How can we expect to receive if we're not willing to ask? The Lord desires us to come to him in need. But if we're not coming to him in need and making those requests, we can't expect to receive. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. But it's important to understand the heart of this. The Lord's not saying, ask anything and you'll receive it. Name it, claim it. I ask for a mansion in the name of Jesus Christ, give it to me. No, no, that's, that's not what the Lord is saying. He says, ask things in my name. His name? Well, that's his character. Ask things according to my character. Ask things that Jesus would ask. Pray prayers that Jesus would pray, not out of selfishness, out of uh, spirituality, out of need out of sincerity, out of purity, when we ask those types of things, the Lord is sure to answer. But again, it has to be out of that pure heart. It can't be out of that selfish desire or that carnal desire. If you're looking in James chapter 4, he addresses that specifically in verse 3. And he says, you ask and do not receive. So you either don't ask and you don't receive or you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Sometimes we can pray selfishly. Sometimes we can pray carnally. He's saying don't pray these material carnal prayers. Pray spiritual prayers. When we're praying spiritual prayers, when we're coming to the Lord in need with the right heart, those are prayers that God wants to answer. He desires to answer. Again, look at Matthew chapter 20. He asks them the question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to already. Okay, If Jesus is asking a question, it's not like because he's like, what's the answer? No, no. He's asking a question because he knows the answer and he's trying to lead the person to truth. Specifically in this case, he's asking this question to produce something in these men. He wanted them to ask for help. He wanted them to be specific in their supplication. Yes, they cried out for mercy. Jesus says, yes, you need mercy. Be specific. What do you want me to do exactly for you? Get, get real with me. Make a serious, specific request. What do you want me to do for you? See, Jesus will sometimes ask us what it is that we want for him so that we can learn to lean on him. 
See, these men, they had to come to Jesus in humility, in need, asking specifically what they desired, what they wanted. But sometimes that can be hard for us. Sometimes we can struggle with asking for help. Do you find it hard to ask for help? Maybe not from the Lord, sometimes from the Lord. Lord, I, I, I want to ask for this, but I don't know if I should, yada, yada, yada. I don't want you to say no. But sometimes we have a problem with, maybe it's not with the Lord, maybe it's with other people. Do you have a problem with, do you struggle with asking other people for help? Or you got it, you're good. You got this life, you can take care of it on your own, right? You're good, you don't need help. Just do this solo. No, no, no. That's why God created the body of Christ so that we learn not only to lean on Jesus, but also to lean on the body of Christ. That in humility, we would ask for help. See, pride prevents us from asking for help. But humility, when that's produced in us, we will ask for help. Jesus, he's producing an extra measure of humility in these men. What do you want me to do for you specifically? I want you to ask me, And I want you to be specific in what you're asking. Look what happens. Matthew chapter 20, verse 33. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. They wanted to see. Makes sense, right? They were blind and they wanted to see. There was a blind person in here right now. I said, do you want to see? They'd probably say, yes. But now if we talk spiritually, there are many people who are spiritually blind And they don't want to see. They would rather not see. They would rather live in darkness. Why? Well, Jesus says that men love darkness. They love to live in darkness. They love their sin. It's comfortable. It's whatever. And they desire that over walking in the light, over walking in truth. I don't want to see. I want to see things how I see them. I don't want to see my sin for what it really is. I would rather be blinded by with pride. I would rather be blinded with lies and blinded to the truth than see myself for who I really am. And there are sadly but surely many people that are like it, that they would rather live in darkness, live a lie, than be faced with the truth, be exposed by the light. But the Lord, He wants to open our eyes for a specific purpose he wants to open our eyes that we might see the light that we might see the love that we might see what he has for us in this life in this world if we only knew what the light looked like we would never want to live in darkness these men they don't want to live in darkness anymore they want to be shown the light of the lord that's why they say lord that our eyes may be opened look what happens verse 34 So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So Jesus, he has compassion on these men. He has pity on them. His heart goes out to them. Not only does Jesus have compassion, he sympathizes with them. Not only does he sympathize, he empathizes. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 The author of Hebrews describes the type of high priest that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says this, I love it. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, not only is he our God, but he's our high priest. And not only that, he knows what it's like to be a man. 
when we cry out to Jesus in need, we can expect him to have compassion on us. Why? Because he knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be weak. He knows what it's like to walk through difficulty on this earth. And this, these men, they cry out, Jesus, he has compassion. He responds to their need and he provides for their need. And it says... And he touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. Jesus opens their eyes physically. But the Lord, he doesn't just desire to open our eyes physically, he desires to open our eyes spiritually. Third point, Jesus wants to open our eyes. Jesus wants to open our eyes. See, by Jesus performing this miracle... Now, we don't know how long these men have been blind. They could have been blind since birth. They could have been struck with blindness a week before this. We have no idea, no way of telling. But maybe this is the first time that they've been able to see in their entire lives. And the first thing that they see is what? Their Savior. Jesus literally opened their eyes that they might see Him. He opens our eyes that we might see Him. That's what he desires for each of us, that we would see him for who he truly is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right after Paul talks about how the God of this age has blinded the unbeliever, he says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Lord, He's torn the veil. He's literally opened our eyes that we might see the glory of God in the face of the person of Jesus Christ. These men, their eyes were open, not just physically, but spiritually. They were able to see the glory of God through His Son, through the person of Jesus Christ. And again, that's what God desires each of us to see, that we would see His glory through the person of Jesus Christ. That we would see Him for who He is. That we would see Him at work in our lives. That we would know that He's there, that He cares, that He's doing things, that He's moving, that He's working in us and through us and all around us again. He wants us to see Him for who He truly is. Once we see the Lord for who He truly is, then we can see the world for what it really is. See, there's a spiritual realm. And we see this awesome story. I love it. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha. See, Elisha was receiving prophecy from God concerning the king of Syria. And he was basically telling the king of Israel, hey, this is what the king of Syria is going to do next. Now, the king of Syria catches wind of this and he's like, I can't take out the king of Israel because somebody keeps telling him what I'm getting ready to do. It was Elisha. So the king of Syria, he sends this whole army after Elisha. And look what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. Therefore, he, being the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So we see Elisha's servant 
He's terrified. Why? Because he thinks it's just the two of them and there's this whole army out to get them. And Elisha's like, man, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. So look what he says in verse 17. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant, he just saw what was right in front of him. He saw this army of the Syrians, Elisha. He saw it at the spiritual realm. He saw that there was a greater army of angels that had him and his servants back. Now Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be open. And now the servant, he sees what Elisha's seeing. What's the point? See, the Lord, he opens our eyes so that we might see him for who he is. But again, he opens our eyes also that we might see the world for what it is. Now, I'm not saying all of us should be able to see angels and demons, okay? If that happens, sweet. It's never happened to me. Uh, but if it happens to you, I won't argue with you about it. It could happen. We see it in Scripture. The point is the Lord desires us to see spiritually. Now, practically, what does this look like? Uh, maybe it looks like uh, uh, making the connections between what you're praying what you're reading and what's happening to you in your life. You make those connections. I was like, man, that message, it connected to this thing that I was reading this morning. There's this word that the Lord keeps trying to get across to me. I've been praying for this specific thing. And then I was in the word and it was talking about this other thing. And then I heard a message and then this thing happened in my life and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the Lord at work. And he wants each and every one of us to see that. But we can only see it if our eyes are opened, if we're spiritually in tune. Now, I'm not talking about being hyper-spiritual and, and making, um, making uh, yeah, over-spiritualizing everything where, like, God's talking to you in every which way and, 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 and we're making something, uh, something that it actually isn't. I'm not talking about that, but there is a truth that God, He speaks in various ways and He'll use so many things in our life to get messages across to us, but we're going to miss it if we're not spiritually in tune, if our eyes aren't open. There was a time when I was in Liberia, um, the night before, I was praying, uh, asking God specifically for direction for the next season. Uh, and I had this dream. It's pretty embarrassing, so I won't share it. Um, but I had this dream, and there was like some direction there. And then I was in the Word, and there was a little direction there. And then uh, I was uh, with my friend Dirk, and we were walking uh, through the jungle. It was like a three-and-a-half-hour walk, pretty brutal walk. Uh, I had like a backpack on, um, and the guy in front of me was the leader. He had a 100-pound bag of rice. And we're wearing flip-flops. You're, just, you're supposed to wear flip-flops. I don't know why. They just tell us to. Um, so he has this 100-pound bag of rice, and he's speed-walking. Like, I'm talking like it's hard to keep up with him jogging. This guy is walking so fast through the jungle, and I'm, like, kind of getting into it. At first, I'm like, man, this is no fun at all. This is brutal, right? But then I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this kind of like a workout. So I'm, like, keeping up with him. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he would, he would take these certain periods of time, and, and he would slow down his pace. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now I'm into it. Like, now I want to go fast, but I can't walk around this guy because I don't know where I'm going. And there's all these different trails that go all these different ways. That would be unfortunate if I got lost in Liberia in the jungle. So I'm like, I can't walk around this guy, so I got to follow him. And then he'd start to speed up, and I'd be good for going at the fast pace for a while, and then I'd start getting tired. But I can't slow down because if I slow down, I'm not going to know where he goes. I'm not going to know what trail he took or whatever. So I'm forced to follow this guy. Now it started clicking as I was 
praying the night before. And even in that moment, the Lord was trying to get a message across to me. See, we finally got to this village and we were able to do so much ministry. But the Lord, he was communicating to me. See, this man, his name was Moses. Okay, so he was my leader. Right. And literally, God was communicating to me that this man was a picture of Pastor Chet in my life at that time. He was my leader. He was my mentor. And Pastor Chet, if any of you, any of you know him, he's a very fast paced guy. And there was times where I had to follow him and keep up with that pace. And there was times where he would slow down and I'd want to go faster, but I had to slow down with him. Because again, if I went around him, I'd go the wrong way. I wouldn't find my direction. So I'm following this guy. And again, eventually we end up in this village and now now, it's like a plethora of ministry. We're able to, to teach this village. They're able to get Bibles and see Bibles and read Bibles for the very first time in their lives. These people are so excited about the word of God. We went there to do work on this farm and they said, no, 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 don't do any of the work. We'll do the work. You teach the Bible. So we had to prepare literally hours and hours of Bible teaching. That's all they wanted. And there was these other surrounding villages and we were able to go from village to village sharing the gospel and people were getting saved. And seriously, it's the closest thing I've ever experienced to the book of Acts. It was just like that. So me and my buddy Dirk, it was like Paul and Barnabas, we're going around village to village. People are getting saved. We're sharing the gospel. We're preaching the word, like all these different things. And the Lord, he communicated to me through that time there that this is, this is what it looks like. I've placed this man in your life, Pastor Chet. He's your leader. You got to follow his pace. When he goes fast, you got to go fast. When he slows down, you got to slow down. You can't go around him because you don't know where you're going. But he's going to get you to the place that I've called you to be in that place. It's going to be ministry. And it's going to be a plethora of ministry. And you're going to be able to teach the word. And you're going to be able to travel. And you're going to be able to share the gospel. And people are going to get saved and all these different things. And I was like, wow. And you know, at first it was like, you know, I can explain that. You're like, yeah, I kind of get how you get it. But you know how when you hear from the Lord, like, you know, that's what the Lord's trying to tell you. And then after a while, you start seeing that stuff happening. It's like, oh my gosh, that was real. But see, if I wasn't praying, if I wasn't spiritually in tune, I would have missed the message. I would have missed what God was trying to get across to me. God will speak in so many different ways and so many things will line up. But if we're not spiritually in tune, if we choose to be carnally minded, we're going to miss the message. We're going to miss what he's trying to communicate, the path that he's trying to lay for us. Matthew chapter 20. These men, immediately, their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Okay, so Jesus, he has compassion on these men, and these men respond to the Lord's compassion, and they choose to follow him. Point number four, his, com- his compassion should lead to our dedication. His compassion should lead to our dedication. He had compassion on them. They devoted their lives to him. They followed him. When the Lord has compassion on us, when he meets us where we're at in our need, our reasonable response should be just that, that we would follow him, that we would devote our lives to him. See, these men, Jesus doesn't only open their eyes to see him for who he truly is. They he opens their eyes that they might know, that they might see what's God, what God's will for their lives is. See, the path was made clear. Not only were they able to see Jesus for who he was, they recognized, they knew the purpose in their life was to follow Jesus. 
see, the Lord opened their eyes to see His will for their lives. They saw it, they got it, and they chose to follow the Lord. That's what the Lord does for each and every one of us. He wants to open our eyes, not just so we can see Him for who He is, but so that we can see our purpose in this life. That our purpose truly is to follow Jesus, regardless of where we work, regardless of what our family looks like, regardless of where we live. Our purpose in life is just that, to follow Jesus. We no longer have to walk in darkness. We no longer have to stumble. We no longer have to be hopeless and helpless. We have a helper in the Holy Spirit. We have a guide in the person of Jesus Christ, and he literally reveals his will for us and lights up the path for us in John chapter 8 verse 12 he says this Jesus Then Jesus spoke to them again saying I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life He says I'm the light of the world follow me if you follow me you won't walk in darkness The path is lit he's revealed it now, we might not know every detail for, as to what God's will is for our lives, but generally it's the same for all of us. It's to follow the Lord Jesus. He lights up the path. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light. But as He lights up the path, we have the choice to walk down it or not walk down it. Well, I don't really like the path that you lit up. Well, that's His path. He says you want to walk in the light, you want to be delivered, you want to have hope, you want to have help, then walk down this path. This is the path that I've laid for you specifically. And we have the opportunity, like these blind men, to choose to follow that path. See these men? They could have been like, thanks Jesus, I'm I'm chilling in Jericho. I can see now and I'm good. No, that's not what they did. They realized it was something more. He didn't just want to heal them of their blindness he wanted to give them purpose he wanted to give them hope he wanted to give them reason to live see that's what the lord does for each and every one of us but remember he asks them what do you want from me he knows what they're going to ask but he still asks in other words do you really want to be made well do you really want to see what do i mean see some of us There's areas that we see in our lives and there's other areas that we're blind to. What do I mean? There's things about ourselves, uh, sin struggles, that we might be blind to. The Lord says, hey, hey, I want to open your eyes to those things. I want you to see me clearly. I want you to see yourself clearly. And I want you to see my path clearly. But if we want to remain blind, he won't force us to open our eyes. If we ask him, he will open our eyes. And when we pray that prayer, amazing things happen. We're able to see the spiritual connections. We're able to grow. We're able to see the path. But again, we have to have the obedience. We have to have the strength. We have to make the choice to walk down that path. In Ephesians chapter 1, I'll end here. Paul prays this prayer. And it's a prayer that I like to pray as often as I think about it. He says this. Look at verse 16. 
do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Okay, so here's the prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He says, pray this, pray that your eyes would be open, pray that you would know the hope of his calling. He won't force us to know it. We got to ask for it. He won't force us to open our eyes. We, he wants us to ask for it. But when we ask for it, we got to be willing to walk down the path. We got to be willing to follow him, to be devoted to him, to be dedicated to him and not generally, specifically every aspect of our lives. But it's a choice. Do you want your eyes to be opened? If you do, maybe they're closed to something. Maybe you're blinded by something. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's something getting in the way. I'd encourage you to pray this prayer. And as the Lord opens your eyes, I pray that he give you the strength to walk on the path that he reveals to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you open our eyes, God, when we ask you, Lord. And, and though... Um, you, you've opened our eyes uh, generally. Lord, I, I, I know sometimes there can uh, be clouded vision. Lord, uh, we don't always see your path clearly. Um, as you say, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, make us pure of heart, that we would see you clearly, uh, that we would see you for who you are, that we'd see ourselves for who we really are. And God, we would see the path that you lay for us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you for your light and life that you offer to each of us. Thank you for purpose and hope. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.